Hello and welcome to another episode of A Fresh Perspective here at Heavenward Thinking. Today we're concluding Romans chapter 11. We're moving on from our topic of the Jews and Gentiles and we're talking about the doxology here, uh, a little conclusion to this part of Romans before we move on to some uh, applicable portion of how to live as a Christian and, and what a Christian should look like and what the fruit should be. Uh, so I'll read this and then we'll get right into our conversation today. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. So as we conclude uh, this portion of Romans and begin the next portion, what do you see here that really strikes you as applicable for Christians? <laughs> I think this is... Uh, I think it's funny that Paul spent all of these chapters talking about all this stuff, and then he sums it up in a doxology, right? He sums it all up in a pretty simplistic way. Listen, there's God, there's you, right? There's nothing that you've ever done that God needs to go is like, oh, wow, I need to repay you for what you've done for me. There's nothing like that's what Paul keeps trying to get crossed christianity at its core is really simple if you can understand this principle you're going to be okay there's god and then there's you and there's nothing about you that's ever going to gap the distance you're mm. never going to raise yourself to god's level so you can be as good as you want you can be as smart as you want you can be as nice as you want you can do whatever you want right you're never going to reach that goal mm. right you have to have Jesus. That's it. And all Paul wants people to understand is that that's that's the deal. God is amazing, and you not so much. <laughs> Absolutely. I think that's a great way of summing this up. I mean, he makes it uh, pretty powerful. He gives like line after line here. It's just a few verses, but he, he totally nails the point in here that, that God is amazing. He's beyond any thinking. He's beyond anything you could imagine, and his ways are so much higher than our ways. Yeah. And then there's us who, who we really do sometimes think that God should repay us, or that God owes us something, or that we can contribute something to God, or, or while this doesn't make sense to us. Why isn't God doing this? And of course he should do this. And yet we need to look at this and go, his judgments are unsearchable, his paths beyond tracing out. How could we ever know his mind? I mean, these these statements are incredible when we pause and just look at them and, and see just how incredible our God is and then how non-incredible we are. And, and like you said, there's only one way uh, that we have a bridge, and that's through Jesus Christ. And, and that's nothing that we do, and that's nothing that we do on our own at all. It's, it's a gift from God that we even have that mediator between God and us, uh, which is Jesus Christ, and, and which Paul has been spending the first 11 chapters of Romans trying to get us to understand, you need Jesus. Well, right here is kind of just a nicer way maybe of, of doing it rather than a showing how sinful we are. He shows just how incredible God is and it kind of just ties it all up with a bow at the, at the end of this. Well, I think that's where the problem is, right? A lot of us <clears throat> look at the sins of others. We're constantly comparing ourselves to other people. And so we're looking at the sins of others and going, hey, we're pretty good. Like, hey, we got, we, we got this, right? Here's a core, in comparison to this person, I'm, I'm really good, right? So again, it goes back to the Abrahamic thing, right? I kind of like that. The Abraham thing, right? Which is uh, God couldn't swear on anybody equal to him or better than him. So he swore on himself, mm. right? And so we, we look at this and say, God's doing, God is constantly, right? Reminding us, 
here's where I am. Here's where you are. Like you don't get to look at his judgments and you don't get to say anything about it Mm. because they're perfect, right? You don't get to say anything about his ways. You don't get to say anything about anything. And I love the fact that he outright says, listen, you're stupid in comparison to me. I'm, I'm not looking for your counsel. So when you walk around saying, why, 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 I don't have to entertain that. Mm. Is that not, I mean, we look at that verse and we go back to Job and we look at the book of Job and how many questions did Job ask and how many questions did God answer? Oh, none. (laughs) Because he said, "Uh, listen, why don't you answer a few of my questions and then I'll be glad to answer your questions. Nothing's changed. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the next time you want to ask a question, God's like, sure, all right, go ahead. But you answer a few of mine first, Mm. right? Show me how wise you are. Show me that I should have to take your counsel and and take into consideration before I do things. How arrogant are we that we really think God should consult us before he moves and does something on Mm. our behalf? Absolutely. Yeah, we have that, that tendency where we think that God uh, owes us something, that he he needs us or something like that. And I love how you brought up Job. I've actually been reading through that in my uh, daily readings uh, recently. And it, it is striking when I, every time I go back to it just to see how many questions that Job brings you know, before God and just how many things he, he tries to say, how, how great he is and all these things and how innocent he is. And then, then God just gives him question after question after question that he can't possibly answer or fathom. Then he responds and then realizes that he's nothing compared to God. And, and it gives us that, that object lesson. Yet we look at Job and we go, well, that's all well and good, but I'm better. Or, you know, I know things. And, and, and we don't. If Job, who was this great righteous man, if he couldn't stand before God uh, and answer the questions God was asking him, and then he realized he was nothing, then we're the same way, just like uh, Paul does here. He clearly understood uh, that he was nothing. I mean, he calls himself the worst of sinners uh, that Christ died for. And and when we look at this and then we, we try to say that we're something or that God owes us answers to things or that God should do things differently or that our ways would be best. How, like you said, how crazy arrogant we are when we do that. (laughs) We need to just humble ourselves as scripture tries to remind us time after time again, humble ourselves before the Lord and understand that his ways are not our ways. They're much higher. We're never going to be able to understand it because God is infinitely greater than we are, and he is beyond our comprehension in his ways. So I, I think this passage just really points us to who God is uh, in, a, in a really profound way if we'll just let it sink in and stop trying to come up with excuses of why uh, we shouldn't listen to the common sense of this passage. I think we, you know, we have this tendency to continually be making God personable, relatable mm-hmm. to people, Right. And, and that's great, right? God can relate to you. He's personable. Jesus was very personable. However, we never, ever lose sight of the fact that God is still God, mm. right? And that's what Paul is saying is, listen, you can go through this whole thing. You can read the first 11, or you can listen to me right now tell you that God is great and you are not, <laughs> and you need God, right? Again, the, the end game here is to get to God. Mm. Like, we want an eternal destination we need to be heavenward thinking Mm. and in order to do that you got to realize who god is there's a reason why he's in heaven and you're not Mm. right i mean like there's a bunch of common sense here that said like we go to work every day and we complain about our boss and we think we could do a better job and we do all of those things but there's a reason why our boss is the boss and we're not 
right? And it's the same thing with God, right? It doesn't matter if our boss comes down on the floor of where we work and he works with us or she works with us and she helps us and does all these things. At the end of the day, they're still our boss. Mm-hmm. And we have to be able to figure out both sides of that. How do I walk and talk with God and he's my God? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think, as you said, people lose sight of that because we're so focused on, well, God is loving, God is kind, you know, he, he wants to be your friend, all these things, which, which are all true. Jesus is there for us like that. But at the same time, we, we have to realize that God the Father is so holy and so infinitely greater than we are. We need to realize that, that he's not on the same level as us. That we're on a totally different level. We're only able to be a child of God and to have that friendship with God because of Jesus Christ. And so when we realize that, that should point us to exactly what Paul has been trying to point people to in Romans throughout these first 11 chapters, point them to Jesus. And then as we transition into chapter 12, we're, we're going to start to see what we should do as Christians. We can only really apply those things once we realize who God is, once we realize who we need to be uh, and who we need, uh, which is Jesus Christ. And and then only then can we move on to chapter 12 and realize uh, this is the the type of things that I need to do as a Christian. This is how I'm supposed to live. This is how I live out my faith. But we need to make sure that we have an understanding of who God is first. And that's why he spends so many chapters talking about it. Yeah. Well, and I think he finishes it up by, again, pointing out the obvious in, in God, are all things, right? Mm. Through him, in him, to him are all things, right? So there's not a single thing that you have that is yours. God allows all of it. He made it all. He created it all. It's his. He's never, ever given up ownership of it. So as you look around and you look and say, hey, everything I have is God's, that ought to tell you something. And it ought to bring forth a response, right? Which is why Paul goes into chapter 12, right? Here's the response to the fact that God is all things, has all things, owns all things, knows all things, all things is, is God. It's not you. Like you might think it's you. Like you, you may have woke up this morning and thought, hi, I am all things, but you're not. Mm, absolutely. This chapter gives us the reality. We are definitely not all things because only God is. And that's where our focus needs to be. As we develop that heavenward thinking, that can only come when we realize that God is God and that we're not God and that we're called to submit to God uh, because he is so much greater than us. And we, we need to make sure that we're having that uh, humility rather than pride and or where we think that we're God. Uh, so I think that that's just really a key thing that we as Christians need to do. Uh, and that prepares us as we move forward into Romans chapter 12. So I hope we've been challenged by this uh, and that you really consider who God is and who you are in relation to God and that you really need Jesus Christ this week. And then you'll join us next time as we talk about Romans chapter 12 on a fresh perspective here at Heavenward Thinking.